Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And our program today, we're going to jump right into, I'll give you the particulars a little bit later. Our very special guest is going to converse with us on a number of probably more um, material levels, but also uh, talking about some other areas as well as we open the uh, open the conversation in regards to... I think uh, a website that I find, just the, the name of it is interesting. It's A Better Human Story. We're going to find out where that came from. And, and we're going to bring up a number of subjects today. Uh, the Battle Between Democracy and Fascism, A Better Human Story. We're going to talk with our very special guest, who's the author of a number of books, but one in particular, The Parables of the Tribe, among other things. It just happens to be one I have in my hot little hands. And then we have another uh, contact with the realm of the sacred. Now, that should be an interesting uh, little conversation there. And then when evil rises among a people, again, a better uh, human story. And I want to welcome to our microphones and to our Zoom link and tell me your story, uh, Dr. Andrew Schmuckler. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. Well, thank you. You have been... I guess, studying and researching and observing and um, uh, I don't want to say uh, the pontificating is not the right word here, (laughs) but uh, you have been at least um, expounding your observations for, my goodness, a better part of my lifetime, uh, probably 50 or 60 years with some of your books coming out in the late 70s and into the 80s, especially with uh, the parable of the tribes. And it has to do with a better human story. One of the questions that I have posed to my guests on occasion, I kind of stay away from it only because uh, I kind of know where the person is coming from and and I kind of know the answer to the question. Sometimes I still throw it out there. Uh, And that is, and I'll throw this to you, with all of your observing and even with the titles of some of the articles that you've written on your website, <clears throat> a betterhumanstory.com. I'm, I beg your pardon. That's a betterhumanstory.org, I believe it is. Yes, it is .org. Yep, I'm an org. Um, this is the question. Do you really think that humanity deserves to continue based upon the thousands or millions, depending upon your perspective, of years that uh, of man's inhumanity to man? We seem to have not learned one blessed iota from history now well go ahead go ahead let me let me just jump in and and answer your question by saying that one of the lines i like to use these days which follows pretty conclusively from what i think i've proved is this line the ugliness we see in human history is not human nature writ large. Uh, It it takes a while to get the proof, but I maintain that it can be proved and that I have indeed proved it. So you ask the question, do we deserve? That implies that, you know, somehow the ugliness that we see, and I see plenty of ugliness, right now more than I have 
in growing up in America over, you know, the whole post-war period. There's plenty of ugliness, but I don't think it should change our sense that we are sentient creatures who can experience fulfillment or misery. And what we deserve is the best that we can get. I think the issue of deserve is really putting it a bit wrong. I go along with the, although I'm not a Christian, with the Christian teaching that involves compassion. You know, there but for the grace of God go I, for all the ugliness that we see. I am very disturbed by what I see happening in the world around me. And I live in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley, a a place where I did talk radio for a decade and loved the people who see things very differently from me. I'm very disturbed by what I see, but I do not feel animosity about uh, against the people Mm -hmm. who are, who are channeling something very destructive these days in America. So I think that we should look at ourselves as being the victims of forces that we unleashed without having chosen to unleash them when we stepped onto the path of civilization. So we kind of opened Pandora's box without Very realizing good. it. Very good, yes. Yeah, we can go from the Christian to the Greeks and say, you know, you can, with no such intention, you can unleash bad things into the world though we're in better we we deserve it less than pandora because she was warned don't open that box <laughs> don't do that <laughs> but what i think uh, i've shown is that any creature that extricates itself from the niche in which it evolved biologically by inventing its own way of life which is what we started to do in a serious way, 10 to 12,000 years ago. Any creature, regardless of its nature, is going to unleash forces that it had no way of anticipating, but which in retrospect, we can see it was inevitable that our civilization would develop in very destructive and tormented ways. And of course, um, the the, mm, ancillary effects um, in terms of human health and well-being due to the stress, the anxiety, uh, the mental health issues that, that supposedly we're facing not just in America but across the, across the globe uh, in terms of a lot of the turmoil that exists today. And, of course, I know there are some of my listeners are going, Richard, what does this have to do with, with more spiritual or metaphysical constructs? I think it has everything to do with it from the standpoint that there are those of us I count myself among them. I consider myself, though born and raised a Catholic, a metaphysician who is studying those elements that are, as the definition goes, beyond the physical. And it is said, uh, uh, Doctor, that um, whatever is going on on the outside, in other words, our material world, is what's going on on the inside of each one of us. There's something in us that is, it, that is in turmoil, uh, that, is, that we're grappling with in terms of, for example, our shadow sides. This is where uh, I find it interesting uh, when we hear all of the criticisms over what they call um, critical race theory. And I'm going, I think that's incorrectly named. And I've talked with some educators uh, who are teaching it 
but they're not teaching it from the standpoint of we've got to hate America and this is awful that all white European males have done this. To no, they're trying to teach the good, the bad and the ugly of our history. In other words, the totality how about of just how about just accepting what's real and true? Yeah, exactly. You know, we, reality is basically the only thing that we've got to work with. True. And true. If, if we ignore it, it's going to come back and bite us in the behind. Right. Let me ask you about your, if I may, uh, you can you can uh, uh, certainly uh, go in a different direction if you'd like, but I'd like to know a little bit about your, you say that uh, you're not a, uh, did you say you were not a Christian? Are you a, are you a religious or a spiritual person? Do you hold to any particular philosophy? Well, I, let me answer it this way. There have been four experiences in my life that were spiritually transformative that changed the direction of my life. Um, one of them in 1970 led to the writing of that book that you've mentioned. Uh, I was born into a family. My father described himself as a child of the enlightenment, uh, which meant, uh, as I understand it, that he believed in an approach to the truth that had to do with looking at the evidence honestly and using reason to infer what's true from that evidence. And I'm very committed to that. But part of what I have discovered is that some of the evidence points to the reality of the spiritual dimension. Mm -hmm. And part of that evidence is the evidence of my own life. So I am not a member of any particular school of thought or religious belief system, but there are mysteries, and I do my best to understand them. One of the things that I have seen is that we human beings have widespread throughout the world and in various cultures Many people have the capacity to have experiences that are, that are sort of uh, deeper, more impactful than the ordinary day-to-day -day experience. We can see that. I think I've seen statistics like one-third of the people in our society report such experiences of contacting something deeper and having something that seems more true or more profoundly true than what they usually see. I think that we can infer, and this is again, using evidence to apply reason to it, we can infer that that capacity is part of the human genome. Just like our ability to you know, see a tree when it's out there in front of us, is part of what we were born able to do. You know, a bacterium can't do it, but we can. Mm -hmm. We human beings seem to have that capacity as part of our genome. And much of my thinking is based on an evolutionary framework. There's no doubt in my mind that it's the, it's the, the central organizing principle of the whole field of biology. There is just huge mountains of evidence about how life has evolved. And how life has evolved is 
that there's a variety of forms. Those that are compatible with perpetuating that form, getting one's DNA into the future, are selected over those that can't get into the future. It's a way that just a inevitable natural process consists, consistently chooses life over death. Mm. So if we've got that capacity in our human genome, that means to me that it has been selected for over the eons of our history. I don't know about eons. It may be over the last 500,000 years. Maybe it was already being selected for in some way several millions of years ago. I have no idea. All I know is that you can see it in hunting gathering peoples and you can see it in civilized societies. And if it has been selected for, we can infer that it is life serving. And from the fact that people's lives are often changed by it and spiritual truths come by and you can look at them and you can see that most of them do seem to be life-serving. We should embrace this spiritual dimension that is embedded in our nature, which has proven to be life-serving and it, that is therefore a very real dimension of human experience. Mm. Does that answer your question in a way that's at all satisfactory to you? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. It answers the question. We're talking with Dr. Andrew Schmuckler, and we're talking about, again, a wide variety of things that uh, have their basis, if you will, in the material world over the uh, days, weeks, months, years, centuries, eons, if you will, if we want to uh, even contemplate that possibility. And uh, we're going to continue doing so as we do here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for uh, being with us, uh, Dr. Mookler. I, I, I'm fascinated, and I remember when I was, I was first uh, dialoguing about this program, Tell Me Your Story. And the other phrase that came to my mind, which is sort of our subtitle, New Paradigms for a New World. Not oh, a new okay. world order, Okay but a new world where we have uh, not only, not necessarily equality, but equanimity uh, for all, that the opportunities are available to all peoples, that, we're, that nobody's being put down, that nobody's being shackled or imprisoned and so forth, except maybe, you know, in their own minds kind of thing, as, as, as I often heard at the Christian radio station I worked for back in the 80s and early 90s. You know, yes, we're coming to the shut-ins and those who are trapped in the prisons of their own minds and so forth. Um, but one of the things that has, has always been part of our program is this issue, and I was reading an article regarding this on your website, we promote this. We are providing our listeners and our viewers choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. But I'm getting a little, I don't want to say pushback, but I'm getting a little um, uh, um, different perspective. There are those who say, we don't have any choices. Our choices have already been made for us, to which... I then uh, begin to, to theorize that if I don't have choices, if I don't have any uh, possibility of, say, redirecting my life's path towards what I like to consider my life's purpose, 
then my life has no meaning. Absolutely none. Because I don't have any choices because it's all well, predestined. Unless you've already made choices that have given you a meaningful life. But then the question is, were those my choices? There's a, a beautiful book. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one uh, by a gentleman by the name of James Benner. Came out in the 30s, I believe, 1930s. I have to, you know, when we get into the 2030s, I'm going to have to be more specific. 1930s. <laughs> and he wrote, a, <laughs> he wrote several books. Well, maybe they're the 1830s. They too. could be. For you yeah, know, there was which, a lot that was going on then. I will tell you that I actually put more credence into books that are older and older and older uh, than the newer ones. Uh, but okay, the impersonal life. Is the name of the book. Now there were other books that he channeled, and this is this was the base. This is the consensus that these these writings were channeled. Well, this one in particular has to do with sort of a it's a one sided conversation between not the author, but between shall we say the divine, let's say the still small voice, uh, if you will, basically saying you think. That the choices that you make, and this goes into other realms as well, are your choices. That you came up with them independent of me. But I am telling you that those choices that you made, those were mine. And mine, then, of course... You're, you're, being, you're being some still still voice, perhaps, from another realm. Is that another what, what realm? You're... You know, it could uh -huh. be God. But what difference does it make? I mean... You know, I don't, you know, I, I also claim to have proven that most people's idea of free will mm -hmm. uh, makes no sense. Okay. Uh, but I, I don't want to go into that. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't, it, 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 it doesn't matter what, I mean, I've made a lot of choices mm -hmm. and, and I believe that my choices are a function. I mean, I believe that we humans exist in, in a world where there are causality, there's causality, okay. where, where there's cause and effect. That we are the fruits of the world. We are born into this world, uh, uh, the, a newborn infant with a genetics that we didn't choose, mm -hmm. but it's a hand to play with, and with an environment that we didn't choose, but it's going to have influences on us that, given what we are at any given moment, we do with what we do, mm -hmm. we make choices. I think our choices are all to be uh, understood in terms of the realm of causality, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We've got this life to live and we are the fruit of the world. But what, you know, this was actually the, the first really significant uh, philosophical experience in my life. Mm -hmm. I was 14. Oh, wow. And, and, and I had been striving uh, my whole life to um, do good things that will get me credit, you know, preferably in the form of applause. I was an athlete, you know, I wanted to be a star, you know, I, I was a student, I wanted to be at the top of the class. And, and if I achieved those things, then, you know, then I was a good person, mm -hmm. you know, I had achieved, you know, I had made myself the, you know, I wanted to be the goat, uh, like Tom Brady. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and then I, philosophical thinking brought me into the idea of, you know, I'm not the cause of who I am. You know, that thinking about cause and effect. And it was a, it was very disturbing for a little while, because, you know, if I can't, 
take credit for anything good I do. And if I'm not ultimately to blame if for any of my defects, because everything's a result of causes and effects, then what's the point? Well, eventually I got past that. Mm -hmm. Of course there's a point. There's There are good and evil in the world. Mm -hmm. There are different things that can happen that can lead to people feeling good in their lives or feeling miserable in their lives. And it matters. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether I get credit or blame for my, my virtues and my defects. And for the same reason that I don't say that we're to blame, going, going back to your first question, do we even deserve a good world? Mm -hmm. Of course we deserve it or we don't deserve it. That's not the question. There but for the grace of God go I, even when it comes to being born Adolf Hitler. You know, when Jesus says, love thine enemies, what is he thinking of? And when he says, forgive them, Father, they do not what they do. What is he thinking of? Well, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking that whether we, you know, we all obviously make choices all the time. Maybe somebody could predict whether I'll order lasagna or kitchen chicken cacciatore from the menu. But it is still my choice to based on what I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I may not be able to have determined ultimately what kind of person would want the was the beef lasagna, which is what I would choose. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't matter. Right, right. We're talking with Doctor Doctor Andrew Schmuckler, and um, we we are sharing with you his concepts, his ideas. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say his philosophy, although it could, could fall under that category. And you can find out more about he, he and his work, his books, his articles uh, at abetterhumanstory.org. There's another website as well that you sent me uh, that I have here, which I, I thought was rather interesting. Just the, just the name of it. And, and just if we can touch upon it for just a second, Three Quarks Daily. Now, a quark is some astronomical construct. Well, it, it, it's... Um well, Quark originated in, um, I think it was Ogden Nash, some kind of silly poem. But it is the, you know, we used to think of atoms as being the smallest thing. Yeah. And then it turned out that they consist of protons and neutrons in their nucleus. Well, the quark is what makes up the protons and the neutrons. Ah. Well, I don't know why they changed, called it Three Quarks Daily. But <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's an important website. Yeah. Well, we encourage you to go to either of those, but preferably uh, a betterhumanstory.org. And we'll, uh, we'll certainly be linked to that website uh, so people can find out more about you and the work that yeah. you're doing. May, may I break in for just please, a second? Please, please go ahead. Yeah. Um, you, you said, well, you, might, you were wondering what the call, what, I, what it is that I'm, I, I'm here to offer. And you said, you know, my philosophy. You know, I, I, I would go along with that. But um, what I would say that I've specialized in is identifying the forces at work in the world that we have to understand in order to control and overcome in order to get the kind of world we want. Mm. I claim to have shown that the way civilization developed came because of forces that we didn't choose and haven't brought under control. So what I would say is that I've, I offer a picture of the human story 
that shows what challenges we have to meet. And I say we actually have to meet them if we're going to survive for anything like the long haul. Mm -hmm. That if we do not bring these forces under control, human civilization is not going to survive. I would, if I had to guess, I would say, you know, we'd be lucky to get two or three centuries more. Civilization's been developing for 10 or 12,000 years. So I kind of love the way this conversation is going in a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm. it, it's not like a systematic building of a vision of, of, of an integrated vision. That is what my life's work has been, is this integrated vision of what's been going on in the world back from the beginnings of civilization and what's going on in our world right now as we struggle to maintain American democracy. But my, what I've been trained to do is to build things systematically. Mm -hmm. So if people want to see whether I deliver those goods that I'm claiming, I suggest they go to those articles on Three Quarks Daily. Uh, I'm working on the fifth. The first four have been published. And I, I love the way we're going from one realm to another, one dimension to another. But that's really you know, just like a movie trailer sure. or something that really does have coherence. Well, and of course, it's kind of what we do here because we want people to go to the websites to find out more about our guests uh, and get more in-depth information, although we try to go somewhat deep here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Andrew Mookler is my guest, and uh, Say, I, Schmuckler. Schmuck, I beg your pardon, Schmuckler. Uh, that's the first time I've messed that one up. And I thank you so much for being with us here on the program. This is uh, a conversation I've actually been looking forward to. Uh, we had a brief little conversation uh, um, uh, sometime prior to this, and um, I was quite intrigued by the, some of the subject matter I found uh, in the articles and on the website and so forth. And it, it, uh, it raises some interesting questions. I want to kind of jump back to, to this concept of free will. As I mentioned, I worked for a Christian station for 15 years back in the 80s, early 90s, during the, the height of televangelism. Uh, it was quite an uh, interesting observational position to be in. Um, when I left, I was considered a casualty of Christian radio because I did not toe the party line. Uh, a I casualty in the sense that you were... You know, that the organization looked at what you were saying and said, uh, we don't want you, you're not in the fold well enough? Actually, even to the extent that they actually said word for word, not so much management and ownership, but programmers would say, you know, Richard, I, I, I don't believe you're saved. I don't think you're ready to meet God. And, um, and so I, I pondered that for some time. And interestingly enough, it was right around the Thanksgiving time. I came back to this gentleman the next week of his programming. And um, I, I said, I went into the studio prior to the broadcast. And I said, you know, last week you said you didn't think I was saved and ready to meet God. Well, let me, let me just uh, uh, throw this out and see, see what you think. And I said, the first thing was, all right, there's this huge body of water. Could be a lake, could be an ocean. And you and I are standing on the edge, right there on the edge of the water there. And you have every means at your disposal to, to save me from drowning. Now, bear in mind, you and I are standing on the edge of the, of the lake. They're right on the shore. Would you save me? He says, well, 
No, of course not. That's silly. No, of course I wouldn't save you. There's no reason to. Okay. I'm now in the water. I'm flailing around and I'm telling you, do not save me. I want to drown. Would you save me? So, well, of course I would. I said, you'd violate my, my, uh, my basic individual human rights of self-determination. So, well, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, you know, say that if you want, but yes. So, well, yes, of course I'd save you. I said, okay, now, uh, here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> uh, I want you to go out to your SUV, that's what he was driving at the time, and I want you to start it. Don't turn it off. I want you to start it again. I want you to go home. I want you to tell your wife to cook the turkey. When the turkey's done, I want you to stick it back in the oven and cook it again. You're going to burn the turkey, and you're going to ruin the car. Do not try to save me from my perspective, as I said to him. I'm already saved from my perspective. But the one thing that I, I could not get through to him was to state back to him and many of the other ministers and pastors across this, the breadth and width of this great land of ours, they always use the phrase personal relationship with God, with Jesus, whatever. And I said, well, but wait a minute, you're judging me as to my quote-unquote salvation, and yet it's a personal relationship between me and my God. So what business do you have sticking your nose into that relationship? Which is something that I have always struggled with. Um, you know, if somebody wants to talk to me, let's say you say, hey, Richard, where, where are you coming from philosophically? Well, hey, we can talk. My father I don't know a lot about his spirituality. He has not shared it. And that's perfectly okay. He doesn't have to. It's his relationship with his God. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't quite follow. Um, well, the, of, the, the, point, the point I'm getting to is that we have people, especially right now in our world and in our country, who are telling other people how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to be which is creating a bigger and bigger and bigger divide. And you, you, well, let, you let, let, let me, I think that, you know, if you're saying that we cannot be of help to one another, which I'm, I doubt that you're saying that because not at all. you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe if you believe that you wouldn't be doing this show. Correct. Um, so you're not saying that, but, but I think what you're saying is, well, what, what I would say in support of you is that there are many people um, who have ways of trying to help other people mm -hmm. that are flawed uh, and are not as helpful as they might think. Now, if those people were right in their beliefs um, that there is a truth, they've got it, uh, you're, you're, if they were right about that and right about the... Um, that your eternal existence uh, depends on your knowing what they know to be true, mm -hmm. then I would think that they were, uh, if all that was true, they would be justified in wanting to help you um, have a good eternity rather than a miserable eternity. Mm -hmm. But then the question arises, what are ways of helping people to see the truth? Mm. And I think what you're saying is that 
they had no idea how to approach you in such a way as to be any kind of helpful to you. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely uh, a problem in our world because for one thing, and, and, and this is part uh, of what are the, one of the consequences of why civiliz of civilization developing in a destructive way. We have many, everybody is a product of a broken history. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the pages of, uh, of history filled with wars, enslavements, tyrannies. People have lived in a world in which there's been anarchy at the highest level, war of all against all, very traumatic. So we've got a bunch of broken people running around. Mm. And one of the consequences of the brokenness is that people don't want to recognize their brokenness. For example, in the case of people's religious beliefs, I have a chapter in, in, in the second book I wrote uh, called God's Truth. Mm. And the book I wrote was called Out of Weakness, Healing the Wounds that Drive Us to War. And the fourth chapter, the fourth section is about how people have a need for certainty. And one of the reasons why people might have an unhealthy need for certainty is that they've experienced trauma. They've lived in a world which, in which, you know, the various kinds of trauma, you can have trauma like people in Ukraine are experiencing uh, these days when, when apartment buildings are hit with, with explosive missiles. Or you can have trauma growing up in a family where the father is an alcoholic and beats the mother and the children. All kinds of trauma. If you live in a dangerous world, uncertainty is very scary. Mm -hmm. And people will have a need to believe that they've got all the truth they need, that they know things that are important. And there's no question about what's true and they've got the truth. Yeah. And those people are dangerous to the world. Yeah. There's a great uh, because quote. they can't tolerate yeah. that somebody else might come to a different conclusion. Yeah. So we've got people flying airplanes into the World Trade Center in the name of, uh, of their God. And we've got people like your guys, your programmers, who felt that if you were seeing something differently because of what you've thought and what you've experienced mm -hmm. and what you've taken in from a different life from their life, that is not acceptable. Yeah. And that doesn't really help the world become more whole. Yeah. There, there's a beautiful quote, I, I think, uh, in regards to truth. Uh, I, I don't know how accurate it is. I'd love your, your uh, view of this when you talk about truth. Truth is only truth until it's written down. And until it's written down, there is no real dissection of it. As soon as the words are put down into print or on, or on a cave wall, if you will, now people can look at it and they can start dissecting it and, and trying to, to make it mean this, that, or the other thing. And, um, you know, sometimes, I guess there's another phrase, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, you know, kind uh, of thing. I, I would say, you know, I, I admire the approach of science uh, to the question of truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, not all scientists are, are, are capable of... Um, of accepting it, yeah. um, but it, it is very well institutionalized that um, 
that everything sort of remains a hypothesis. It's yeah. the best we've come up with so far. So far, um, yeah. You know, it, it used to be that the Milky Way was the universe. Um, now we know that there are actually billions of galaxies. Yeah. Um, uh, Newton was uh, the truth um, for a long time, and he's still a genius, and every, uh, everything he said is still of, uh, of value on the question of laws of motion and, and space and time. But then there were new findings, and Einstein processing the things that uh, had come to be known, and Newton got revised. Uh, you know, so that's that's what I, I you know I think that the honest pursuit of truth in a spirit of inquiry is what people can do if truth is important to them. Yeah, yeah. If they need to come to firm conclusions that are beyond question and that are not going to ask any more questions after they've arrived at that, that is their constitutional right. But it does create problems. Indeed. It's like saying, this is solid. This is a solid piece of matter. And uh, there is no question that it's solid. And yet science has proven that it's not solid, except in our own minds. Even well, the apparently tabletop. we each have uh, yeah. a couple trillion neutrinos going through our bodies yeah. without making contact uh, every single minute. Uh, so uh, we aren't as solid as all that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Andrew Schmuckler is my guest here on the program, and and uh, we're having a great time here. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Uh, I, I will I will let you in on a little secret here, man. It's not really a secret because everybody knows. Uh, that the universe is asking these questions. I'm just along for the ride. I'm just the universe mouthpiece. I'm also very curious. My brain uh, functions in such a way that uh, I'm just a curious individual about stuff. One of the things I love about science uh, is some of the conclusions that it comes to, regardless of what the realm of science is. And, and I find it humorous when science discovers one of the laws of the universe. And then a year later discovers something that nearly negates the previous law of the universe. And there's, okay, we know it all now. And so, but you said it quite well, is it's, it, it's an ongoing evolutionary process, which I want to talk a little bit about in terms of our, our civilization, evolution. Uh, and I want to talk about that more as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Evolution is, is on the table for a couple of minutes here, especially when it comes to our civilization. And I guess this kind of ties into what we were just talking about in terms of truth and each person's perspective thereof. And what I have observed over the last 60, 50, well, I'll say 50 years. I probably wasn't doing much observing when I was uh, uh, zero to 10 in the 1960s. Uh, but what I've observed is that the... Uh, the uh, the well-being, if you will, of the common man, I consider myself one of them, I consider you one of them, uh, hasn't changed much in 50 years. And yet, we've gone through numerous elections, numerous presidents, numerous swings back and forth in our respective state legislatures as well as national, um, new laws, old laws, this, that, and the other thing. And my observation is, if anything, things have just gotten worse. And so I ask the question, 
is the system that is currently in place really serving us? And shouldn't we consider something else? And well, I, of course, I, I like that question, and I, 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 yeah. I I'm ready to address it if you, please. You want I, I will let you go there. I'll step off. <laughs> well, no, don't go away. <laughs> no, 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 I'm uh, staying right here. I'm curious. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know what to do by myself here. Um, I, I, I'm actually in the process of writing uh, a piece about um, why it is that democracy has been um, losing ground not just in the United States, but uh, on a kind of a global basis. Uh, the Freedom House, um, uh, I, I read last, yesterday I read an article, because uh, I Googled this question. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they say that since 2006, uh, democracy has been in a, a general retreat uh, uh, on a global basis, and they've got ways of quantifying that. Mm -hmm. um, I still believe in democracy. Um, like Churchill said, it's the it's the worst of all possible political systems, except for all the others. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so so it, the problem the the system doesn't maintain itself. It is um, the Constitution that we have mm -hmm. says that we will deal with our disagreements and make our decisions according to rules, the rule of law, the constitutional process. These, this was a historic achievement because, you know, my, my parable, the tribes is subtitled the problem of power in social evolution. And so what our founders did, which was really quite something in the late 18th century, was come up with a way of saying, okay, we will find a way to control how power is used. We will set up a system that says the people, the people are the are the reservoir of all power. Mm -hmm. The will of the people will determine who act. We but they knew that anarchy wasn't going to be a, a, a cure for the problem of power. It is the root of the problem of power, because in anarchy, there's a war of all against all. And what rises to the top in that situation is warlords, gangsters. So the spirit of the gangster rules if you don't have something that controls power. So they set up that. And I, I, I love that. I mean, there are defects in the Constitution because there is already a lot of brokenness in the in. in in, in the world, mm -hmm. I mean, they, the, the, uh, I don't really understand why they put that three-fifths clause in to make the slaveholders so powerful. But anyway, that's another another conversation. <laughs> we we in America have been the beneficiaries of a system which did what it could to control the problem of power and to keep the power of tyranny off of our backs so that the power answers to the people rather than controls the people. And the law controls power rather than the law being a weapon in the hands of power to control the many. So I think the system is fine. We haven't done what we need to do to protect the integrity of that system over the last generation. 
That's what's that's what has uh, ha, has wounded our, our our democracy. Not the defects of democracy, but the failure of the American body politic. And I would fault here certainly the right, which has become a party of fascism in our time, but also the party of the left, which has not understood what the hell has been going on and has not responded appropriately. And I would fault also the, the, the press, which has either been blind or unwilling to tell the people what's been going on since the early 90s. And I would fault the American people who have not had the understanding or the commitment to their better selves to play the role that citizens have to play to maintain a healthy democracy. So we have a systemic problem in our body politic. It isn't the system. Right. I, I, I have to say that uh, in the last couple, three years, um, with with all uh, with all of this screaming and yelling and hollering and uh, opposition to uh, many of the efforts, at least from again my observation, I I don't I for example, you know, if you wanted to, if we really wanted to go to uh, go to task over uh, particular situations, you know, we talked about you know the only thing we have is this reality, you know, and the, the tabletop is hard, it's solid, and so forth. I mean, I'll accept the fact that everything is energy, as science has proven. Um, but someone might say, well, my God, you know, 9-11 and, and, and all of that and the planes and the, and the collapsing and that. And I would say this is uh, from my perspective, I would say, well, I don't know that that happened. Well, didn't you see it on TV? I said, well, yeah, I did. I saw it on TV, but I wasn't there physically. How do I know that that wasn't uh, CGI? You know, that was one of the first things. You like the landing on the moon, huh? Yeah, or the landing on the moon. I wasn't there physically. Now. I was there when I sat on the edge of a granite stone on the island of uh, Inish Moor in the Aran Islands off of the west coast of Ireland. And I sat and I looked over the edge at the waves crashing at the at the rocks down hundreds of feet below. And there was no I had no fear that was real. I was there so I can say that happened. But if, if I wasn't there and you tell me this story about this horrific thing. I could say the same thing about the Holocaust, and I'm not saying that either. I'm well, not I saying. Don't, I don't. That it didn't I, I, I don't really go with you on that. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, you it's, know, it's the, more the, hypothetical. It's more hypothetical if somebody wants to challenge certain events that have happened in history. I'll say, fine, okay, then then I'm going to take that position that if I wasn't there, it didn't happen. Well, I, I mean, you, you can take that position, but I, I'll just tell you I don't. You know, there's a, there's a philo philosophical position called solipsism. Um, th that the only thing that exists is me. Yeah. Or, or you know, who, the solipsist. Yeah. Right. If I believed it, I would say, and everything else is a figment of my imagination, including you, uh, including this computer screen in front of me. Mm -hmm. It's all something, you know, like, like when I dream, you know, like we all do every night, you know, we go through these things, we have conversations, we have dramas, we have conflicts, we have landscapes, and none of them exist. Well, you know, okay, I can't disprove that. I can't prove that you exist. But I, I, I'm not gonna, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna trouble myself about that. The world makes enough sense. You know, I, I you know, the, 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 when it comes to evidence, 
you know, the, was I there in New York uh, on, on, on uh, September 11th, uh, 2001? No, I, I was actually with, 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 with my wife and son, we were in this beautiful place, our, our, our one and only family visit to Hawaii. And the day before, we walked up this trail for, into the old Hawaii. It was just like a vision of a, of a kind of paradise. And all of a sudden, on 9-11, I wake up and, 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 and the landlord is saying, something's happened in New York, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I discover, you know, that paradise uh, isn't all that's going on. Right. And we see the the video over and over, and we see that you know that the flights have all been canceled. Well, maybe if I'm the only person in the world, I can deny. You know, this is all just a like a figment of a dream of mine, mm-hmm. and, and nothing else exists. But I don't do that. Right. I, I you know I, I accept that the my sugar maple out there that's turning orange, it's there. You know, it's rooted in the ground. I've I've lived with that tree for thirty years now. I don't think it's just a dream. Where do I get that way? Nowhere. But, you know, if I were to be one of those people who believe that, uh, you know, the Democrats are part of a worldwide child trafficking uh, uh, scheme to uh, <laughs> groom children for pedophiles, you know, I'd say, well, where's the evidence? There isn't any. I yeah. mean, it's a bunch of crap. Yeah. I mean, if, if three quarters of the Republican base believe that the uh, that the election was stolen when they went zero for 60 with one judge after another, eight of them appointed by the guy who who propagated the big lie. And we saw him for months before the election laying the groundwork for the big lie and investigations and recounts were done. And still three quarters of the people believe the big lie. Now, that's a problem. Yeah. There are beliefs that are maintainable and there are beliefs that what the hell is going on in your head if you believe that? There's something wrong here. Yeah. I tell you, critical thinking has to go in here. Now, I remember in October of 2016, the first time I heard that statement being made and my brain went, okay, let's accept the reality that the elections are rigged. Oh, are you that, talking about in, in, when 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 Trump thought he was going to lose in uh, October in of 2016? He, he he basically started saying that, uh, the only if I lose it means they stole it. That's right. So yeah. my brain went to the logical construct of okay, if if the elections are rigged and you win, the elections are still rigged. <laughs> which means you are not the lawful president. It is not possible. You can't have it both ways. Well, apparently, one of the human capabilities, and let me, let me say this. There has, I have been trying to understand the psychology by which intelligent people believe unbelievable things. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, it's been... I mean, every day, practically, virtually every day, I, I, I wonder about this. Mm-hmm. What, how do you understand how an intelligent person, seeing all this evidence, 
Um, I mean, it's just like you could hardly fill in a more complete picture of uh, a guy who is counted uh, as telling 30,000 false and misleading statements while he was president. A guy who, as you said, pulled out the same thing when he thought he was going to lose the first time. And, and then his first act was virtually to claim that his inaugural crowd was the biggest. And there were these pictures mm -hmm. comparing the inauguration of 2009 and the inauguration in 2017. And, you know, it's clearly the, the earlier one was bigger. Yeah. Yet something has happened between this particular leader with his incredible combination of genius and I don't know what else to call something else, <laughs> um, has managed to establish a relationship with people in which their thinking that when you do business with those people, you see they're intelligent. They know what they're doing. They're able to estimate a job because they know what it's going to take or something like that. You know, there's, there, there's an intelligence there. Yeah. But there's something in the relationship between a leader and the followers that I don't think has ever existed in American history. And I've taught American history and yeah. I've written about American history. Well, I, I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that I have seen it, not in politics, but obviously I've seen it primarily during those 15 years I worked for the Christian radio station. You think and it was the same, I the think same the, thing as we see in our politics? I think it is. Thing. I think it is, it is quite the same. And one of the reasons why, and I, I, I used to say this uh, while I was even working at the Christian station, I said, look, you want to emblazon a great big old H on my forehead for heretic? I will expose it and wear it proudly. I would rather be a heretic. Because the answers that I was given to the questions that I was asking about spirituality, about religion, about, you know, the, the, that whole realm... They didn't make sense to me. My brain just could not wrap itself around um, the answers that these people were giving me to the questions I was asking. And then um, they would say, well, Richard, y'all just 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 go to the founding fathers of the faith and read the writings that they have read or written and, and they'll give you the answers, which then raised two more constructs and uh, uh, concepts in my head. Number one, who set them up? as the founders or the arbiters of the faith, number one. And number two, I probably haven't heard of many of the names of the founding fathers. So um, does that mean that that elevates me to that same position? Because I'm thinking and asking those same kinds of questions that they were asking that they just so happened to write down their answers to. So does that well, mean that, that I, I, I'm now elevated to that position? Now, I, I, I don't believe that, but... Again, these are the kinds of things that go on in my head. Well, let, let, let me uh, say, say something. I, I think that you're you're right, in part, mm -hmm. that um, I mean, I, I've I've studied um, I've studied the Civil War and yeah. the post Civil War um, periods. There are, I think, there is a a connection. Um, when 
people are socialized so that their relationship to their community um, and they're, they're sort of a three-layer thing. They're the, they're the leaders or authorities, mm-hmm. which could be, mm, you know, the, the, the ruling elite or it could be uh, a sacred text. Uh, and then there's the community. And then there's each individual that's growing up in the community. Mm-hmm. And, and you can raise people so that there's a um, uh, almost like a downloading, a bypassing of critical thinking. Mm-hmm. But if my community thinks such and such, I will unquestion- unquestioningly download the dogma yeah. into my mind. I'll just acquiesce. I'll capitulate. Okay. And I think that that is part of what I see going on uh, around me um, here in uh, the breadbasket of the Confederacy where I live. Yeah. Okay. By the way, uh, speaking of the Civil War, I, I've only heard this maybe a couple of times in recent years or months, whereas they were talking about it and they were actually kind of dissecting the whole the, the construct of and the reasons behind it and they even said that if that god forbid I, I i would not want this to happen today but if that were to have happened today based upon yeah. everything that's happened up to this point here in the 21st century the confederacy would have been labeled as terrorists well i've got a piece coming out in the newspapers called the right of secession um, the way the South seceded was an insurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not have the legal authority to defy the president of the United States. Um, they might have gotten it if they had taken the question to the Supreme Court. They may have said, yeah, you've got the right to secede. But it was not an issue on which anybody could unilaterally simply declare yeah. against the arguments of the presidents of the United States. But that's another. I, I wanted to finish that other point. Go ahead. Because I, I was saying, I think that in part you're right. But this is an area, I, I, as I said, I did talk radio here. I talked about a lot of religious issues with, with the fundamentalist. Uh, and, and, and that was that was enjoyable and it was constructive and mm. it was in good spirit. And uh, uh, that was the kind of conversations I had then would not be possible now. I've had a ringside seat to watch a transformation. But anyway, the way in which it's not it's not the same thing what's happening in our politics um you know uh is that there are certain questions that it's hard to prove one way or another empirically you know according to the uh my father's epistemology as a child of enlightenment is there a god i wonder about that a lot mm-hmm. you know I would really like to have a relation and I've had I've had some times in my life when I felt like I was the loyal son of some powerful, good, just, merciful. You know, I love the I would love to feel a lot of things that uh, people feel. I look around and I see, well, the way the world is, it's kind of hard to reconcile with certain beliefs that some people have. But is there a God? Well, I couldn't prove it either way. Mm-hmm. The, the, the evidence, I mean, w- the universe seems to exist. 
where did it come from? Now, you can answer like, well, God created it. Mm -hmm. Well, that sort of explains the universe. Well, where did God come from? You know, yeah. there are questions that have bothered me since I was five. Yeah. That I can't, not only do I not know the answer, I can't even imagine an answer that I'd understand. Yeah. Now, and that's one of them. Yeah. But the political question mm -hmm. was the election stolen? Are the Democrats grooming kids for pedophiles? Those are the kinds of questions, unlike, is there a God? Those kinds of questions really can be resolved with practical 100% certainty. Mm. Almost. Do Dr. Andrew Schmuckler is my guest, and um, his website, abetterhumanstory.org, is the uh, website, actually, which we will be linked to. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Andrew Schmuckler is my guest, and uh, fascinating conversation. One of the things that I, I want to kind of uh, wrap up here with you in this conversation, because I... I have to tell you, I'd love to have you back to continue this conversation and talk on some other areas as well, uh, as well as your 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 talk show experiences over what was it about a an eight or ten year period? Is that right? Yeah, I had a decade. Yeah, yeah. I've been in it for forty three plus years, my friend. I got in at the age of nineteen, and uh, I've stepped away from it a couple of times for a short period of time. I can't think of anything that I would love doing better than this, and uh, it's just such a blast. But well, we can... did did you choose it? I actually <laughs> chose it from the. Well, that's right. There you go. Very good. Actually, yeah. I bet you did. I did any, in any meaningful sense of the word. Yeah, I, I I did, but I didn't realize that I was choosing it, and I'll tell you why. When I was a kid growing up, my father was in his early days before he was married. He was an appliance repairman. So uh, as we were growing up, we might have these uh, portable turntables and, and little radios and things of this nature. And then I don't know how we came across uh, reel to reel. It was, you know, anyway, uh, so I, I started playing with this stuff. Uh, and one of my favorite uh, experiences, uh, I bought one of these um, uh, radios that would pick up the TV stations on. I think it was the UHF frequency. Okay. And it was the night of the presidential inauguration in 17... Uh, 17. <laughs> <laughs> You're older than you look. <laughs> well, you know, I, I preserve very well. 1976 yeah. with the inauguration of Jimmy Carter. And uh, they were playing... Uh, the, the, they were showing on television uh, the one-man play uh, with James Whitmore, um, uh, Give Him Hell Harry. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. and I recorded it. Right. And I recorded it. And I absolutely loved it. I think one of my favorite lines from that, to digress just a bit, was he's walking with the reporters. Now, you're not hearing, of course, the other side of the conversation, just his responses. And a reporter asked him a question and he stopped them dead in their tracks. Don't you ever say don't you say that. Don't you ever say that again. Listen, listen. If there is a black man in the gutter, there has to be a white man in the gutter there to keep him there. And I've often thought about that when it comes to our penal uh, institutions, our, our, our prison systems. The guards and the wardens are just as much prisoners as those that they're guarding. You're, 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 uh, you're going to, I think you were talking about how 
you didn't choose right. As I said, I digressed. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I'm playing with all of this stuff, and um, then I'm going to college. I go to a junior college, and my counselor says, "Hey, there's this radio station that's opening up up the road here, a brand new one. It was a radio reading service for the blind and visually impaired, called Sun Sounds Radio Reading Service." Now, as I said, I've been in this business for over 40 years. They have a test that you have to take, a reading test, to see if you can read live on the air, you can read oh. this out of the other thing. Well, uh, you, you, you obviously are very, uh, have a good voice and you are very articulate. So. Well, yeah, but I was legally blind at the time. Now, I could get around. You and were I, legally blind yes, at the age of 19? At the age, well, from birth, actually. And I would use a magnifying glass or I had thick glasses, okay? So I would go there, and I will tell you that um, um, prior to my lens implant in 1996, I was legally blind. I took the oral reading test not once, not twice, three, four. I've taken the oral reading test five times. I haven't passed it yet, okay? Now that's going up to 1992, something like that. And I was told by my general manager, she says, don't worry about it. We've had professional news anchors come in here and fail the oral reading test. So I, I kind of felt like I was in good company. But there were many other things that I have learned to do. So my, I, I, and I guess the best way to sum it all up, to make a long story even longer, <laughs> I feel as though I've been in the right place at the right time throughout virtually my entire career. Well, there's, there's being in the right, there's, there's good luck, and there's also the ability to, to make the, to seize the opportunities that present themselves. Yeah. But you also ran for Congress. Is that correct? I did. I did. Uh, you, were, you were what, a nominee on the Democratic ticket? Yeah, I was a Democratic nominee in a district uh, in which Republicans outnumber the Democrats two to one, mm -hmm. running against a 20-year incumbent. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm in favor of uh, term limits, uh, but I'm also not in favor of uh, individuals making it a, a their lifelong job. Well, it, w that's another conversation, yeah, exactly. I suppose. How this, did you, this, this, particular guy, uh, this particular guy had promised he was only going to serve two, two terms. Yeah. And I was, he was running against me for his 11th, which uh, uh, not, not surprisingly he got. Yeah. I'm curious, how did you do in that particular contest? Well, it depends on what you mean, how did I do? If numbers. You're talking about, uh, numbers? Numbers. Oh, I did about I did a, a you know a couple points better than the average Democrat would probably get. Uh, you know I I I, I had um, the one you know the one thing that I had expected. I mean this is a whole, uh, you know there are a lot of things we could talk about, but <laughs> um, the, 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 I, I had believed from when I had one of those spiritual experiences that launched me in 2004 uh, on a mission to try to save American democracy from a fascistic force I saw rising in the country. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's, now, that's a pretty, let, let, me, let me just finish. Well, I had believed that the good people that I had talked with on the radio for a decade, surely if they were presented 
certain undeniable provable facts would cease to support things which went against their own stated values. Christian, constitutional, patriotic, and values of good character. You know, I believed in those people. And I, when I launched my campaign, I had a variety of goals, some of which I succeeded in, one of which I succeeded in, and two of which I failed at. Mm. I wanted to become a national story because there are reasons why it could have been, you could have had a feature about my campaign in the New York Times Magazine, which would have belonged there. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, or I could have appeared on TV to be interviewed. Um, it didn't happen that way. I did get some writing into the Washington Post, but in general, I failed. The other goal I had was to talk to the people who reflexively vote Republican because that, and, and to talk to the good people and help them see some things that were true and to vote the, from the better angels of their nature mm -hmm. against a guy who was continually manipulating and lying to them, which I could show. Sure. I ran on a slogan, truth for a change. I, I saw that, that and I loved it. I absolutely okay. love it. But, you know, I originally my slogan was let's talk about the elephant in the room because that called attention both to the elephant, mm -hmm. which was the Republican Party. Right. And the, the and the elephant in the room, which means something that's not getting talked about, which pointed to the defects in the Democratic Party of that time. Yeah. But anyway, that, that, that didn't fly as well yeah. because it was too complicated. But well, uh, anyway, I was hoping to talk to the good people. Mm hmm who are going to vote for the, give this guy the 11th, his 11th term in Congress. And what I found was they wouldn't even listen. Mm. I was wrong about, uh, I mean, there's a speech that I had where, where, that went viral that's on the web still. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, to tell the good, decent, conservative folk of the 6th District that these folks are not the friends of their own deep values. That, that there's that line, which I've heard many times because I've listened to that talk many times because it's the high point of my campaign. But they weren't interested in listening. I saw how they just would tune them out. So that was one of the things I learned, which is there's a problem when people just shut their minds. Mm -hmm. And I had sort of seen it developing when George W. Bush was president, I saw that there was an ethic being taught. Don't listen to anybody but us. That large circle of Fox News, Rush Limbaugh, mm -hmm. then the Republican leadership and such like that. Don't listen to uh, liberals. Don't listen to Democrats. Don't listen to journalists. Don't listen to academics, uh, scholars. Don't listen to people from foreign countries. <laughs> so, I mean, I had seen how that ethic had grown up around mm. protecting the uh, what I eventually, after I lost that election, wrote about the uncracked nut. But there was an ethic that was went, went in and I did not realize how uncrackable that nut was. Mm. So how did I do? Well, the one thing I did succeed was that the, the, the people who voted for me were very excited. Mm. 
the other the people who did listen, who would listen, thought that I had done something worthwhile. I was disappointed. I hadn't expected to get you know a term in Congress. I never went to the Capitol to measure the windows for curtains or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> but I did think that I might achieve a couple of things that I failed at. Mm. Well, I applaud you for your efforts at going uh, at, at, at throwing your hat in the ring, so to speak. Um, because it's not an easy thing because what obviously, and especially today, more than any time that I can remember in my history, um, boy, you are going to, your, your life is going to be dissected and exposed like nobody's business. They didn't bother to do that. Well, not back when you were running. No, I'm talking about today. Oh, I mean, today they will, whatever they can find on you, look out, um, you know, you 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 better be prepared. You better put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants. Uh, put on the tough skin because they're going to come after you. Uh, Kevlar. Uh, you know, you better have Kevlar underwear. Is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they would have had to take me more seriously as a threat. Yeah. To uh, to to want to you know. Um, do negative campaigning. Yeah. If the if the outcome of the election had been in doubt in their minds, they doubtless would have. Sure. Know, and, and it wouldn't. They wouldn't have confined themselves to things that were true about me that they might be successfully use against me. You know, they they would have. They wouldn't have minded telling things that were yeah. not true. What I find interesting in our our present day, uh, as we are conversing, we have midterms coming up. And, of course, there are all kinds of predictions both ways, you know. Uh, and um, uh, what I find so fascinating is some of the debates that I've seen, just the clips, not so much the whole thing, right. but just right. little clips. And uh, <clears throat> there are those uh, who are still promoting the big lie. And uh, then they're being accused of being accessories after the fact to the insurrection because they continued to promote the big lie after the insurrection. And, and some of them are accessories during the fact. And during the fact as well, certainly. Uh, and so far I have not heard the word terrorist attack used uh, to describe the insurrection on the Capitol. Seems to me that's, I mean, you can call it homegrown terrorism if you want, domestic terrorism. Seems terrorist to me, terroristic to me. Well, you know, if you asked me which way would I want to have it described, um, I would say insurrection is better than terrorist. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I know terrorists has got, you know, we had all that 9-11, yeah. uh, you know, war on terror stuff. So, you know, maybe terror. But, but the, uh, the thing I refer to often in my writings uh, is attempted coup d'etat. Yeah. Um, you know, overthrow of the constitutional order. You know, um, I never thought I would hear that regarding the American government, South America, yeah. Central America, but mm -hmm. not North America. Yeah, I, I think I think that if you were to have shown um, any American audience back in the days, let's say, of, you know, the 12 year span from 1981 to 1993, two terms of Reagan, one term of the first Bush, mm -hmm. if you had shown the Republican base uh, of that era, um, any kind of reasonable depiction, uh, a half hour show or an hour and a half documentary of, uh, of this era that we're in now, of the state of our politics and the state of their party, 
I feel very confident that virtually everybody would have said that could never happen. That would be impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the party of law and order. Are you saying they're going to back up, you know, a violent attack on a constitutional process in the U.S. Capitol? That's ridiculous. This is a, I wouldn't even believe a movie that, you know, a fictional movie, I would say it's just incredible. So certain things, obviously, that were unthinkable not that long ago. You were already of voting age. I was well well into voting age. <laughs> it was unthinkable. Yeah. So you were born in the early 60s then? I was actually 1960. I'm 62 now. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, I don't really remember a lot of the political uprisings of the 60s, you know, just being a kid. I was out playing yeah. in the dirt. <laughs> Do you, do you remember when JFK was assassinated? Uh, I would have only been three at the time, so no, yeah, I, I don't right. have a recollection. Yeah. I barely recall. I mean, the one thing I do remember, uh, it has no, nothing to do with politics, uh, was the moon landing. I mean, I was I was fixated on the TV. Well, you were old. You were uh, nine years old. Yeah. So, uh, so I know, had I had a, a a wonderful experience in that respect. You, but you probably remember the Vietnam War. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, I still remember, too, in 1973, the uh, the whole Watergate thing and Nixon's having to resign uh, as yeah. opposed to being impeached, you know, uh, and so forth. I mean, I from what I recall, they actually did have the articles of impeachment ready to go. Yeah, they, they, they would have. The, the, the Republicans told them that they, but the, that was a different Republican party. Exactly, too. exactly. Yeah, and they, things changed. You know, things Barry evolved. Goldwater was, uh, you know, considered too right wing. He lost in a landslide yeah. in '64. Nonetheless, he was a man of integrity. I actually had some dealings with him, yeah. uh, and 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 he was, uh, he was probably, uh, he he went led a, a group of Republicans to tell Richard Nixon that he would be removed from office if he didn't resign. Mm. You know, that, that is not the kind of party we've had now. And people don't pay enough attention to how do we get from here, there to here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that history really needs to be understood because we need to identify the forces that allow things to happen. When the unthinkable happens, something must have been become true that allowed it to happen. Yeah. And I've been spending the last 18 years mapping that out. I've, uh, one, one final question here before we wrap things up here. Uh, and it's, it is fairly nonpartisan as far as the question's concerned. Do you think that Ronald Reagan's... Um, de oh what well oh, come on what's the word here deregulating the federal oh. communications commission in this first year in office and the reason i know this is because i was going to broadcast school getting and, rid of the fairness clause and the fairness <laughs> doctrine now yeah. let me just preface by saying i've talked with a number of both libertarians and very conservative republicans about it now most of them are young people so they have no clue as to what the fairness doctrine is and i would explain to them i said look if you're going to cover an issue you have to cover it from as many sides as you possibly can. At least two. At least two sides. Uh, and I would say, do you think that that fairness doctrine should be reinstituted? And are you ready for this? Those very conservative individuals said yes. But my question to you is, do you think that the abolishment of the fairness doctrine 
uh, is not necessarily part and parcel, but part, at least partially responsible for the level of polarization that we have in this country today? Well, I think that the answer, the short answer is yes, uh, it contributes. Mm -hmm. um, the longer answer is, uh, is it okay if I give the longer Absolutely. answer? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, one of the, um, one of the forces that's been at work in, 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 as a corrosive of American democracy, well, from the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is the, the uh, if you believe that all men are created equal, uh, the consent of the government, uh, one man, one vote, um, uh, 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 certain issues of um, you want the people uh, to have a voice. Um, has always been in conflict to some degree with um, not one person, one vote, but one dollar, one vote. Uh, in other words, money buying political power. So there's a lot that can be said about that. We can talk about Citizens United out of the Supreme Court uh, a decade ago, but the Fairness Doctrine said that money would not be able to completely overwhelm all other points of view. You know, you can, you can buy a network, mm -hmm. you can buy a TV station, but, and with the, with that money and with those resources, you can propagandize the people and, and get, get, people thinking the way that serves your interests at the, at the expense of the interests of the people who are believing what they're being told. But if you've got, if you've got built into the system that if you're going to have somebody come in from the, uh, who is either from the fossil fuel industry say, or is a, um, an ally of the fossil fuel industry and talk about whatever mm -hmm. that obscures the reality that we need to do something to protect our children, our grandchildren, and all of our descendants, and for that matter, all of life on earth in terms of transitioning from using the, uh, getting energy in ways that uh, upset the balance on which our climate uh, stability depends, you need to have somebody else countering that so that arguments that serve moneyed interests don't get a free ride into people's minds. Mm. And we do have now in this country, part of the sickness in our democracy is that the plutocracy is taking over. The power of money in the American political system now compared to the American political system in which I grew up is enormous. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what we have in terms of the coming of fascism, which is seriously threatened right now, is an alliance of two political forces. And I think I better stop here. Okay. One of them, because you know, we'll, we can save that. Mm -hmm. uh, we can see how this happened 
uh, in part by seeing how the 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 force that led to the civil war and the force of the plutocracy have come under a single partisan tent Mm -hmm. and that has allowed this thing to happen but the plutocracy is empowered by the ref the the ronald reagan getting rid of the fairness doctrine and yes that's part of the problem yeah was that too long of an answer no it's not it's right right in line i appreciate your comments there i loved what one person said to me who was actually opposed to it and they were also more of a libertarian and conservative bent not necessarily republican and they said i don't want the government telling me what i can talk and talk the government's not telling you what you can or cannot talk about they're telling you that if you're going to talk about a subject on a broadcast outlet you have to give more you have to uh, uh, to to share both sides and and I uh, you know but she still disagreed and that's okay she can disagree and 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 so we move on to yeah. one 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 thing I want to share with you very quickly and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read this whole thing but there was a uh, and this really applies to pretty much any subject that we want to throw out there uh, this is a poem uh, and I'll just read one of the the stanzas from it uh, called the box it was written by I believe this a gentleman by the name of uh, Lascelles Abercrombie, uh, and uh, I heard it first. John Denver actually uh, spoke this on, on one of his albums. It's called "The Box." Once upon a time, in the in a land of hushabye, around about a wondrous days of yore, they came across a kind of box bound up with lock chains and locked with locks and labeled kindly, "Do not open." It's war. Well, the long and the short of it is. They open it up and uh, and and it's back just, to Pandora's box. Exactly, huh? exactly. <laughs> so finally, uh, and of course, it says here that uh, it bumped the children mainly, and I'll tell you uh, this quite plainly: it bumped them every day and more and more and more, leaving them dead and burned and dying, thousands of them sick and crying, cause when it bumps, it really, it's really very sore. And it goes on, and then it uh, says here: well, uh, now <clears throat> there was a way to stop the ball. Uh, that came out of the box, by the way. Uh, it isn't difficult at all. All it takes is wisdom. And I'm absolutely sure that we can get it back into the box and bind the chains and lock the locks. But no one seems to want to save the children anymore. Well, that was the way it all appears because it's been bouncing around for years and years in spite of all the wisdom whizzed uh, <clears throat> since those wondrous days of yore and the time they came across the box bound up with chains and locked with locks and labeled kindly, do not touch, it is war. Now, you can use the word war to describe any division, any uh, grappling, any, uh, any kind of situation, whether it be political or religious or educational, I don't care what it is, um, and I feel as though, um, a, a doctor, that we are, you know, I keep hearing the phrase, our children are our future. And it's like, man, we are doing such a disservice to our children if they indeed are our future. Well, uh, one of the questions um, that I think is worth asking people is how much do you care um, about how the world's going to be after your life. Yeah. Um, We're talking legacy of sorts. Yeah. um, You know, 
My whole life's work uh, since 1970 has been about um, will human civilization become the kind of civilization that we would want it to be? Mm. I believe that if you asked people, um, which would you rather live in, uh, a world at war or, or a world at peace? Uh, a world in which justice um, uh, ruled or a world filled with injustice, a world filled with love or, or with hate, mm -hmm. uh, kindness or cruelty, all those dichotomies. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that the overwhelming majority of people would say they would choose the life-serving one of those, all those pairs, they would choose peace and justice and love and kindness. Mm. So then the question is, first of all, how much do you care? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which kind of world your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren are going to live in? And I don't know how much people do care. Yeah. I, I see people with pictures of their grandchildren that they dote on. I don't know if they think about our events of, of these times, like climate change, with their grandchildren and their love for their grandchildren in mind, I just don't know. But then the other question is, and this is what my work's been about, what is it that we need to do to get from the kind of world we have now to the kind of world that we would choose? Mm -hmm. And the first question I tried to answer in my life's work was, how come if people would want that kind of world, the pages of history are so different, yeah. so filled with the things we wouldn't choose? And that's, that's what uh, uh, the article on Three Quarks Daily that's titled, the ugliness we see in human history is not human nature writ large provides the answer to that question. And I think it holds water. I've been working with it for 52 years. It stands up to my best abilities to scrutinize it. And it was developed. It was received in a moment of spiritual like mystery. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't me thinking. Right. But it was developed over 14 years. I've got a 33-page bibliography. I lay it out, and I hope that people who have found this conversation of interest will see if I can deliver the goods. <laughs> well, with all of that being said, uh, uh, Dr. Schmuckler, how powerful are we? That oh, what we, are we? Yeah, how powerful are we? Could we really do that? Do you are you optimistic that we can really make that happen? Well, I mean, I've been worried about it since the seventies. Uh, I, I'm getting a phone call. I understand. I, no for, worries. Forgive no me. Worries. I didn't uh, unplug the That's phone. That's okay. Like I was, That's all right. Um, are you optimistic? Well. My nature is always to look to the best case scenario mm -hmm. and ask, how can we bring that about? I am very worried, but I'll tell you one thing. 
that uh, the battle that we're fighting right now in the United States, you know, the United States, um, the leader of the free world, as we were called during, mm -hmm. during the years that, yeah. I, I guess, probably in your growing up years too, and, and Madeleine Albright, the former Secretary of State, said we're the world's in, indispensable nation. Yeah. And my understanding of the history from the rise of fascism in the 30s in Germany, Italy, well, they rose earlier. From World War II onward, the, the, the creation of a better world has been led by the United States whatever has been achieved has required the United States to be mm -hmm. the world's indispensable nation. If we become a fascist nation with some kind of minority rule, authoritarian regime along the lines of what we can already see that lies to the people, that manipulates the people, that serves a, a, a minority, that does not serve the very people that, who support it enlists. If we become that, the chances of human civilization generally of becoming a different kind of world, a world where something like one crazy fascist power-hungry dictator in Russia cannot have the power in his hands to end the human experiment because he commands a massive nuclear arsenal. Mm. And if we can't, if we can't, uh, the fascist America is not going to help the America become uh, the, the, the human humankind toward a, a world where we can't up do, th won't do things like upset the climate system. Mm -hmm to possibly catastrophic consequences. So my immediate focus right now is on saving American democracy. Mm. If we can do that, we will have a much better chance of our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren living in a world that's becoming the one we'd want. Yeah. Rather than one that gets broken by wars and and tyrannies and cruelty and hatreds. That's yeah. what I think. My personal belief, and I'm optimistic about the future, my personal belief is that in this country, in regards to any elections for that matter, uh, rigged or otherwise, is that I think it is the silent majority, not the loud minority, uh, is is fatigued. They're exhausted. They are spent over all that's been going on over the last five, six, maybe seven years, in specifically in politics. They they've had enough. They don't they 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 they, they don't want any more. It's like, will you please stop? It's like I've you hear the phrase, "Stop the world." I want to get off. And if the aliens come with the mothership, I'm going. Okay. I just want you to know that I'll be doing my shows from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be that as it may, um, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Andrew Schmuckler, and um, we want you to go to his website. It is abetterhumanstory.org. That's abetterhumanstory.org. As we continue telling our story here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and um, Dr. Uh, Andrew Schmuckler is my guest. And, Doctor, I have... 
Oh, I'm gonna. I, 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 I'm. I'm grappling here because normally I ask three final questions of all my guests, and it's like I want to ask a fourth, but I'm gonna hold off on that. Uh, so I, I and I ask all of my guests the, these questions, and I, I hope that you will uh, uh, give me your honest answers uh, based upon wherever you're coming from. However, before I do that, I want you to know, the listener and the viewer, that you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We are streaming live at those times. Oh, don't forget about the 9 o'clock Wednesday morning broadcast. And again, those are Pacific times. We alter our podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations and you can watch these interviews at YouTube. That's right. We have a YouTube channel. Richard Dugan, tell me your story. And uh, we will be linked to Dr. Andrew Schmuckler's uh, website. Again, it is uh, <clears throat> it is a, um, uh, a betterhumanstory.org. We also encourage you to go to Three Quark. What was that? Three Quarks Daily dot org as well for the article no, referencing. Dot it is dot that one's dot com. There, there, com. I'm org. Okay, we encourage you to go there. But, uh, but on on Better Human Story, you'll see a, a portal on the upper left, which is my articles on Three Quarks Daily. Ah, so, so there's a link straight there. There's Excellent. an easy way to get the first four Excellent. of a series that I am laying out a an integrative vision of what. The human story has been about yeah. and what our challenges are that we need to face. Well, I will tell you that uh, one of our guests who's been on this program many times over the last 20, 25 years uh, that I've been interviewing for that long, even though we've only been doing this show for 15, uh, Greg Braden, he has basically said that it doesn't take that many people in terms of raising their consciousness. I think it was based upon uh, the population at the time. It was like uh, such a small percentage, like uh, 800,000 human beings across the planet to focus on could change, could actually shift the consciousness of the planet. Uh, but uh, with that being said, I also want to remind you that uh, we want you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. We're asking you to spend time going within and listening to that still small voice and just being in that quiet, peaceful, calm place. Because I'll tell you what, out here in the real world, it ain't so quiet. So you need to spend time just meditate you can call it meditation you can call it prayer you call it whatever you want I, i'll call it bill and uh i'm going to bill and i'm just going to spend five ten minutes there i'm going to come back refreshed and ready to go do the things that i want to do and if you'd like to support us financially we would greatly appreciate that we have a paypal account account it is there for your security as well as ours with all that said and that was quite a bit there uh, doc final three questions please please do call me andy andy then Andy, uh, I, I don't mind you throwing out the doctor uh, just so <laughs> so so people know. You know, this guy must have must have done something to get the the doc part. But, By the way, uh, I have this pain in my shoulder, doc. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey, all right. First of those three questions, and I'll I'll drop oh, yeah. the doctor on this one because it's a more of a personal question. Okay. Who is Andy Schmuckler? He's a guy who's pursued the truth with integrity his entire life because he was brought up to do that. Number two, what is your life's purpose? Fun, fun, fun till my daddy take my T-bird away. No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, 
my life's purpose. I, I think, you know, I, I think that what I was saying before about um, it's to it's to clarify the, the purpose is that life on earth and humankind should thrive. And there's a to understand the nature of the threats to it and to present that understanding to my fellow human beings so we have a better chance of this experiment that life has created in human civilization. People should realize how diff how what a, a major new thing it was for a creature to start inventing its own way of life rather than living in what had evolved through natural selection. Mm. It was a big step. It turned out to be a fateful step. It is a dangerous step. And I'm, I've devoted myself to understanding the implications mm -hmm. of our being a civilization creating creature. They are very exciting implications. They are very painful implications yeah. they are very challenging implications and the fate of our children and grandchildren and of the whole planet depend on our dealing with that there is a central challenge which i have written about and we should talk about it a central challenge that would face any creature that creates a civilization and there are billions and billions of planets and i doubt we're the only ones that have done it but everyone that did it inevitably would have to meet a challenge that we have yet to meet. And if you let me come back, I'll lay that out. I so will. What's question number three. And number three. And we'll schedule that after we're done here. Number three. And you'll know of, uh, from where this comes. What was your best day? Oh, wow. Well, you know, I would say in retrospect, if I will define best day as the day whose events contributed most to the happiness I would experience in my life. Mm -hmm. In 1994, my book was uh, Parable of Tribes, the first edition of it was published. I had a friend who wanted to throw me a book party on April 21st, 1984, uh, which is two days after my birthday, uh, 38th birthday. Um, and we had a book party in Rock Creek Park in Washington, DC. And she invited somebody I had never met um, to my book party, who was a friend of hers. Mm -hmm. We, She was a mutual friend, but we met at that book party in Rock Creek Park. And we have been more or less, well, I mean, it took a little while. Of, she thought it was a long time before I called her to get us together again <laughs> when I called the following evening. But I had delayed calling her because I didn't want to come across too, too overeager and pushy. But anyway, so um, she is the love of my life. She is my wife now. And uh, uh, there's an article you can find on my website called The Sacred Space of Lovers. 
And I doubt that I would have written that piece, known enough to write that piece, have had it not been that we met on that day. Mm. Spectacular. And it's interesting, your story in that regard uh, matches uh, a pretty close my story with my present wife. Uh, my second, granted, but my, my uh, and matter of fact, we're getting close to celebrating 20 years of marriage, uh, December 22nd of 20. Uh, 22. And uh, it's quite exciting. That's a lot of twos. That is a lot of twos. There's something. 12, the deuces 22, are wild. 22. What's that? 12, 22, 22. That's it. 12, if, 22, if that's 22. That's a poker hand. And if deuces are wild, I mean, you've got a royal flush. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm excited about that. I am indeed. And I'm <laughs> well, also excited about the prospects of having you back to talk about uh, uh, these continuing conversations. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you, he said... Uh, that our our uh, our destiny, if you will, was fateful, not fatal. Okay, no, it yeah. doesn't have to be fatal. Okay, Fate, <laughs> fateful means it delivered major challenges. Yeah, and it, it it it's not surprising. It's taking thousands of years for us to start getting our act together. Yeah. Well, through this program, we're trying to help people to get their act together. Should they choose? Again, should they choose to? We're not forcing anybody to do anything. We just want people to come to our, our smorgasbord table, as we like to call it, and, and partake of those things that maybe are, are intriguing to them, that, that resonate with them, uh, and then step away and experience them, and then come back and grab something else. So that's what we're trying to do here. And and uh, Andy, I want to thank you so much. This has been a fabulous, are you ready for this one? Hour and 45 minute conversation. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I thank you so much for the time. My, my pleasure. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk with you and to talk with your listeners. We encourage you folks to go to abetterhumanstory.org. You will also find the link to threequarksdaily.com. Uh, it's up in the upper left-hand corner. You can't miss it. We'll be linked to that former website, abetterhumanstory.org. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.